0: I'm going to go ahead and put it out there. It's good to be back here. I missed being here last Sunday. I had an opportunity to preach at my home church. And I, I told Darius on, on Tuesday when I talked to him, first thing I did when I got here Monday was I came in here and I just kind of stood right here, just kind of exhaled a little bit. Man, I, I was preaching at my home church, but it was a little weird because it's, not the, it's the congregation I grew up with, but not the building where I grew up, and some familiar faces, but not familiar. My, I don't have any family in Tifton anymore, so there's a lot of displaced things, but I just kind of, I just wasn't comfortable. And I came back here and Monday just said, it was good. Hey, as you're turning your Bibles to the book of 1 John this morning, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to do something uh, special, different for, uh, for me for the next few weeks. Um, This book by Kyle Eidelman, it's called God's at War. This is going to be the, the the core of our Sunday school in the college and career Sunday school class. Um, if you are between um, graduated high school and like thirty five um, and don't have a Sunday school class, let me invite you to come and join us. Um, the next three months, we're gonna be going through this. Um, it, it's getting to the core of idolatry and how idols hide in our hearts in places that we don't even recognize as idolatry. But I want to ask you to be praying for our college students. Um, our, uh, not in college, but still in our class students, our career students, um, not career college students, not, th- not those that are on the 9, 10, 11, 12 year college plan, but, uh, um, we're, but we're, we're looking at this because I, I, I believe, and, and I'm convinced, and this is the, the, the basis that we're going to be looking at, and I want to challenge all of you to consider this, that every sin struggle that you and I have at its core is idolatry. It's idolatry. It's allowing something else to have ownership of our heart and priority in our heart outside of who who God is and what he's done for us in Christ Jesus. So let's read uh, this passage out of 1 John uh, chapter 1 together. Well, sorry, 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 2 together as we look at verses 18 to 27. Um, If you've got your place, I do want to invite you, if you're able, to stand with me as we read the word of God together. Um, Looking at these uh, 10 verses, John writes this saying, Children, it is the last hour, and just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that this is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. If they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they are not of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know the truth, and because there is no lie in the truth. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. But as for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If you heard from the beginning, excuse me, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and the Son and then the Father. This is the promise which he himself has made to us. That is eternal life. These things I've written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing which you received from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as the anointing teaches you about all things and is true it is not a lie, just as it has taught you, you also abide in him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you. We place ourselves at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. We open our hearts to receive your word, Lord, and we ask you that you would speak to us, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us, that we would not walk away from here without having said, that is who I am in Christ Jesus, and I will follow him. And Lord, that place where we might follow might be hard, it might be difficult, it might not be where we thought we would go, but Lord, we want to be with you, and we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. We're going to backtrack a little bit and go all the way back to the year 1995. 1995 was a great year for Braves fans, was it not? We won the World Series that year. Um, And if you were a fan of country music in 1995, you probably heard a song by Ty Herndon called What Matters Most. Let me read to you some of the words of this. That way you might be able to remember and jog your memory. Listen, I don't really care a whole lot about country music, but this was one that I used to like back in the day. So here's what it says. I thought I knew the girl so well. If she was sad, I couldn't tell. I missed the point. I missed the signs. So if she's gone, the fault is mine. I know, I know a whole lot of things. And even though I could list them one by one, she would still be gone. Her eyes are blue. Her hair was long. 64, she was born in Baton Rouge. Her favorite song is In My Life. I memorized her every move. I knew her books, her car, her clothes, but I paid no attention to what mattered most. He goes on and says, I never asked, she never said, and when she cried, I turned my head. She dreamed her dreams behind closed doors that made them easy to ignore. I miss the forest for the trees, and all I have to show Oh, but she walked out the door, cold facts and nothing more. Her eyes are blue, her hair was long, and 64, she was born in Baton Rouge. Her favorite song is in my life, I memorized her every move. I knew her books, her car, her clothes, but I paid no attention to what mattered most. Man, this poor guy, and some of you ladies are like, I'm living with that guy. Um, This poor guy, he knew the details, but he missed the point. He, he, He got so caught up in the details that he missed what was actually going on. He missed the point of the relationship. The point of his relationship with this woman was not to know all these facts, but to actually know her, to know her heart, to know what mattered most. Ladies and gentlemen, I think that this man has perfectly described what happens in the majority of churches around our country. Man, we can tell you the ins and outs of bylaws. We can tell you the ins and outs of Sunday school schedules. We can tell you what program's doing this and what program's doing that. And we can busy ourselves and fill our calendar with all sorts of things and have all of these details but miss the point. The point of why what it is that we are supposed to do, what actually matters most. And I believe John has brought us to a point where we've got to ask ourselves some questions about what matters. And in this passage, we're going to have four things that matter. You, you can see there in your outline there in the, in the, in the guide, um, you got four things and they all end with matters, right? This matters, this matters, this matters, this matters. So let's start talking about what matters when it starts coming to the, the book of John so so far what we've been looking at in chapter two are a couple of tests that he has put out there for us we started out with the test of love you say you love God but you don't actually walk with him your life doesn't look like anything God would have then maybe you don't actually know God and then there was the obedience test you say that that you you know God but you don't do what he's commanded to you to do and now we're going to get into this you say you know God but you don't actually believe the truth of about God. And this test really helps us prepare for what matters. he says in verse 18, children, this is the last hour. And just as you heard the antichrist is coming, even now, many antichrists have appeared. And from this, we know that it is the last hour. But verse 19, he goes on and says, these people went out from us. They weren't really of us for if they had been of us, they would have remained with us and they went out so that it would be shown that they are not all of us, that that they were not of us. Folks, let me tell you something. Holding on matters. Holding on matters. There is something going on in our churches day in and day out, week in and week out, month in and month out, year in and year out, where our friends, our fellow church members just give up. Some of you know people. Some of you can, can probably look to a pew in this sanctuary where you know they sat for years, decades maybe even. And at some point they just gave up. They didn't just give up on the church. They gave up on, on the faith. They didn't hold on. Now why is that? John brings all of this to us in, in the pr- proposition of Antichrist, and I don't want you to. I want you to know something. Look in your Bible. Look right there in verse 18 and 19. You do not see a capital A with Antichrist, so I don't want anyone to think, man. John wrote this two years ago, and he's saying the Antichrist has appeared, but we're still here. So, did we miss something? Are we are we worshiping in vain? He is not talking about that final deception of the Antichrist who will rise up. We'll get to that in Revelation. We'll, we'll talk about that guy later. What John is bringing in here is this idea of something that is anti-Christian, something that is pulling us away, and so what he's throwing out there is that these people in these churches were influenced by something other than Christ because an anti-christian or an anti-christ influence is a powerful lure it is something that is strong it is something that will pull away Let, let me let me just put it to you this way if I'm hungry and I'm walking down the street and I get the smell of a fish sandwich I am not going to walk into that restaurant to bite in I'm just not. If I wake up in the morning and I think, oh man, it's time for some breakfast. And I go downstairs and I'm like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to eat. I'm just so hungry. And Chrissy's over there cracking open an egg and starting to scramble. I'm not going to say, give me some of that. That's not a lure for me. I don't eat fish. I don't eat eggs. So you can have all of that that y'all want. That's more for the rest of you. Oh man. But Friday... Friday we were going to lunch for my mom's birthday she turned 70 this Friday we were in Hendersonville North Carolina and we were driving to the far side of town to a restaurant called Bay Breeze um, which is apparently where 70 year old women want to have their birthday lunch and that's cool and all that Um, and so we're driving across town and we're sitting there at a red light and wouldn't you know that just right over here to my right there was this there was this white and green and red sign of of glory that had a hot sign turned on That is a powerful lure. I'm sitting here with my family. I've got my wife and my three kids in the car and I'm looking over there and I'm sitting there thinking it is mama's birthday and she's taking us to a seafood restaurant. I don't eat seafood, but I do like that. Oh, you do not know if it had not been for the fact that I was on the busiest road in all of Hendersonville, North Carolina in the left hand lane and not easily in the right hand lane where I could have made that right turn, I probably would have turned into that hot sign and said, I'm just going to have donuts. Y'all have all the fish you want. So that's a powerful lure. And see, what John describes here about this Antichrist is this was not something from outside. This was not an external influence. This happened within the walls of the church. And what John is describing is that there were people within the church that were putting something other than Jesus first. And because of that, it caused people to fall away. It caused people to walk away. It caused people to say, you know what? I'm not holding on to the rope. I'm not. I'm just going to let go. And my concern about this whole process is that the people in John's church acted the same way that too often we act when this happens. We look at them with bewilderment. We look at them with chastisement. And we say, well, you just need to get back in church. But notice what John says to them. He says, they went out from us. But they're not really of us. If they had, they would have remained. But they went out to show that, uh, so to be shown that they are not of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One and, and you know it. In other words, you know this truth. You know what this lure is. You know that there was something that was pulling away. And this perseverance that you have experienced is actually a transaction of faith based on your knowledge of God. See, ultimately, that's what perseverance comes down to. Sometimes the only thing that gets you through those tough trials is that there's this transaction of faith in your life that is guarded, guided and used because of your knowledge of God. He says, "You've got this in your life because you know who God is. That's what gives you the strength to hold on." It's also church family? What gives you and me the strength to circle back around and encourage that, that, that church member, that brother or sister in Christ? Because not everybody that walks out of the church actually walks out on Christ. They just walk out of organized religion. They still love Jesus, but they lost their way. They, they lost their way. And it's not that they have a lesser faith than you or I have because ultimately our faith is based on who he is and not on who we are, right? And so ultimately what we've got to start seeing holding on as is not just a me thing but an us thing. You ever play tug of war? You remember, you remember in grade school, you'd play tug-of-war. I mean, we, we had this guy in my class in fifth grade. His name was Nathel. Nathel, um, he had never been held back. He had never failed a grade or anything. But he was like four times bigger than anybody else in fifth grade. And he was in my class. And that was awesome because for the first time, my class was going to win tug-of-war when it came to field day. Because you know what we did? We put Nathel in the back and wrapped the rope around his waist. And he just stood there. He just stood there. All we had to do was pull a little bit to get the other team, that let them wear out. Because ultimately, if we just let go, is Nathal against that class? You know what? They're not pulling Nathal down. He's, I remember I remember Coach Johnson came out there. was like, what is he doing out there? Nathale was just standing there just like this. That's all he had to do. That's all he had to do. The whole fifth grade couldn't pull him down. See, when you play tug of war, sometimes you've got to remember that when you're playing tug of war, that you've got about six or seven or maybe 15 or 16 other people pulling with you. And the only reason you're not getting pulled into the pulled across, it, say it was school, so it was just a line. It wasn't like this mud pit. So that would have been awesome, you know, school field day with a mud pit, because then you really get to experience tug of war. But, but you know, say there was a mud pit out there, or man, a pit of vipers, I don't care what it is, it's a pit of something, you don't want to end up in it. And if it wasn't for everyone else pulling with you, you're going to get pulled in. And see, what John is describing here is this lure came from within. And if we are holding on together for ourselves and for our brothers and sisters in Christ, what we are demonstrating is that this knowledge of God is more powerful than I am because it pulls all of us together the same way, the same direction. He says, you've got this. You've got this anointing. You've got the Holy Spirit in you. And so you know who God is. And you're holding on by faith. Holding on matters. If you're at the end of your rope, hold on. If the rope is slipping and it's starting to burn your hands, that was the other bad thing about going against a strong team and tug of war, that rope would start burning your hand. And you just want to give up because it just hurts to hold on. That might be you today. Please tell me. Let me pull with you. Because I know one who is going to hold on to all of us and pull stronger than any force of this world. No matter how powerful the lure, he is stronger. He is greater. He is mightier. He is our God. Holding on matters. Not only does holding on matters, but truth matters. See, here's the thing. What good is it to hold on if it's not true? What good is holding on if it is a lie? And too many of your friends, too many of your neighbors, too many of your coworkers, too many of your family members are holding on to a vapor. They're holding on to something that can't actually be grasped because they're not holding on to truth. And what John is bringing in here is this test of belief, this doctrinal truth that helps us see what we're actually holding on to in this life. And he says it this way. He says, I've not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you You do know the truth. So so here's here's the deal. John's not making an evangelistic appeal right now. Okay? This this is not for the non-believer. This is for anyone in here that says, I believe in Jesus, I've trusted Jesus, I've been baptized by the blood, I've got the Holy Spirit. Whatever phrase you want to use, I invited Jesus into my heart, I prayed the sinner's prayer, I went through the gospel track and did exactly what it told me to do. Whatever you want to do to say that I know Jesus, I'm a Christian. This is for you. Because what John is saying is you've been exposed to the truth. And not just exposed, you have accepted the truth into your life to start kind of dwelling around in your heart and rattling around and pulling you and pulling you and holding you tight. Because let's be real. Some of you know some true things, right? Some of you know the sun is hot. You know that because you stood outside and you might have got a little burnt. You don't know that because you've been to the surface of the sun, where it's like five billion degrees or whatever it is. There's a difference between experiential knowledge and uh, just you know book knowledge, right? Some of you know that um, you can't live in outer space without oxygen, not because you've ever been out of space, but because you you read a book, right? That's book knowledge. John is talking about not just that you sat in a church service, not that you went to Sunday school, not that you just grew up in RAs and GAs or or, or midweek or sang in the choir or the deacon. you, You know these things because what God has done in your life. Because your faith in Christ is built on a foundation of truth. Notice what he says here. I'm not writing to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know the truth and there is no lie in this Truth. See, he's starting to weed out false belief. See, a lot of times we, we want, we're able to like jump up and down and really point the, the big hard finger at, at heresy. You know, If somebody says that um, Christ Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, please don't quote me on that right there. If you're going like to tweet anything or put anything on Facebook, don't put it out there. Our pastor said Jesus didn't rise from the dead. That's not the point I'm making. Because you hear that and you say, no, that's wrong. That that's not true, but most of the time the heresy that we allow into our heart kind of creeps in and is not as bold faced blatant as well. Jesus didn't really die from the rise from the dead. It kind of comes in a little bit more as God doesn't really love you, and so the way you want to live your life is okay. God, God has not actually said these things to you or, or man God has promised you you know why you're not happy because you haven't had enough faith in God you know why you're not rich you know why you don't have that, uh, that, that John Kerry mansion that you've been praying about or John Edwards what was his name the guy in North Carolina that built like the 30,000 square foot house um, the politician guy the reason you don't have that is because you just haven't trusted God enough that's false And it slithers into our hearts because that's not what Christ has done. We build our faith on this foundation of truth, because this foundation of truth is where we must stand on solid ground. He says, You know the truth. And so that's why I'm writing you. Because your faith in Christ was built on the foundation of truth. Truth matters. What you accept as reality matters. What you accept from someone who holds a a book like this in front of you and starts teaching matters. This is why I have told many times, I desire for our church to be like the church in Berea, who in Acts chapter 16, it said of them that they listened to what Paul taught, and then they went themselves and searched the scriptures to see if what he said was true, because my words will be judged by God by this word. This one, if it's right here in these pages, then we are under God's authority to believe it as his people. If it's not in here, you don't have any reason to believe it. Okay. And I'm not getting into this, the science matter. Debate. That's, that's not the point. The point is when it comes to who we are in Christ Jesus, truth matters. And so what he says here is who is the liar? Where does the lie come from except for the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. This is this Antichrist influence. This is what pulls people away from confessing the truth about Christ Jesus is the one who denies the Father and the Son. You're like, well, I haven't outright denied God or the Son this is where we have to understand that confessing Jesus means that we're accepting all of him. We didn't go to the Jesus buffet. Okay. See, see, man, we love, man, we're, we're in America. We love buffets, right? You can have every kind of buffet. You can have a pizza buffet. You can have a chicken buffet. You can have a salad buffet. You can have an everything buffet. Man, I, some of you remember when Golden Corral, if you wanted any meat, you had to get in line and order it and they'd bring it to your table. You just had the salad bar buffet and the dessert buffet. Now you don't even have to do that. You just order the buffet and you can get some of anything you absolutely want. But the gospel doesn't work that way. It's not that... See. it this is, this, is, this is why truth matters because we want to accept the gospel which means that we are creating a God after our image, a God that we can control which means that we're exercising truth because what we want is we want a Jesus that forgives us and a Jesus that you know, scratches us on the back of the ear and picks us up when we're down but not a Jesus that requires anything of us. We, 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 want, we want this grandpa God, right? Right? That's going to give you a stick of gum because you asked for it. This grandpa God that's going to be all nice and cuddly and, you know, play you, spoil you, then send you on home, right? That's what we want. But but what the gospel brings to us is this Christ. It says here, who is the antichrist? The one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. We have to accept who Christ Jesus truly is. He is the son of God. He wasn't just this a man that taught some good things and appeared to be God. Or, or appeared to be good. He, he wasn't just this God that appeared to be man and just kind of showed up. See, that's called docetism. I mean, that comes from the Greek word doseus, which means seems. It seemed like he was a man, but he really wasn't. He kind of floated along everywhere. He was able to walk on water because he wasn't really walking on land either. He was just kind of floating, kind of like a, like a Roomba or something like that. But, but no, see, the gospel requires... If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, confessing Christ, this foundation of truth, is accepting all that Christ Jesus is, that he was fully God and he was fully man. And being fully God and fully man, he came and literally bled and died for us, allowed his body to be crushed for us, but he didn't stay dead. He truly came back to life. So it exposes the myth that, well, Jesus, I mean, maybe he really wasn't dead. Maybe he just, just kind of passed out from all the, the beating and all the bruising. and everything. Maybe he just kind of, uh, no, no, no he, he truly died. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. But if we're going to accept all that Jesus is, then we have to accept Christ's authority. That he did come from the Father to accomplish what the Father sent him to do, but also left us with a list of responsibilities. Because we might live here, but we don't own this place. This is his creation. This is his world. He placed us here to have representative rule and dominion over the world he created. So he gave us as his image bearers that he redeemed the responsibility of going and proclaiming. And this is why we're doing Who's Your One? Because it's time for us, the followers of Christ, to say, you know what? There is one person I know that does not understand this truth that I have to reach because Christ has placed them on my heart. That's accepting his authority. It's because it's time for the church to get serious about what we believe and proclaim it in bold areas and bold spaces and in bold ways to those that need to hear the good news. Because if we truly believe that Christ is the Savior and that there is hell for those that don't know him, then we've got to be on the forefront of saying, this is the Jesus you need to know. Truth matters. And the reason truth matters is because we want to skirt away and skirt away, and skirt away from hard truth. We we don't want to admit that our nephew, that our cousin, that our mom, that our son is lost and going to hell. We don't want to believe that judgment and condemnation truly waits for those that don't know Christ. We want to believe that somebody else We'll tell them the bad news. Christ gave us the responsibility of telling the good news. Truth matters. Not only does truth matter, but position matters. Position matters. And I'm not talking about what's your position at your job. Are you low on the totem pole or do you run the corporation? I'm talking about your position in him. Notice what he says in verse 23. He says, as for you, let this truth abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will abide in the Father. So he's bringing in this idea of something that remains. And so he's, he's asking us to remember what our position truly is. Because to abide is to hold your ground. And what, you are, what are you abiding in? And what are you abiding? See, see the word abide actually means remain. And, 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 and so Jesus said it this way in John chapter 14. Abide in me, remain in me. Excuse me, John chapter 15. And I will abide or I will remain in you because apart from me, you cannot bear much fruit. And what Jesus is describing, and this is, this is the pair, this is where he's talking about being I am the vine and you are the branches what he's describing is what you are doing when you confess faith and when you hold on, because holding on matters, is you are establishing that your identity in Christ trumps everything. Your identity in Christ is above and beyond everything. It's above your identity as a father, as a, as, as a wife, as a husband, as a daughter, as a child, as a politician, as a lawyer, as a business owner, as an employee, it, it, everything. Everything. Because what you're doing is you are establishing what Christ has established in you as priority. True priority. Long-term priority. He says here in this passage of Scripture, if what you heard from the beginning remains in you, where do you remain? You remain in the Son and in the Father. Your eternal family. Your, your eternal family. You've been adopted and granted in the Book of Ephesians says you were an enemy, you were at odds with God, but He has brought you and set you at the banquet table because of the work of the Son, and you're remaining in that. Yeah. And maybe the most beautiful thing of all is the fact that our position is eternal. It's not a temporary position. Notice what he says in verse 25. This is the promise that he himself, Christ Jesus himself, has made to us. Eternal life. I hope you folks don't have any plans of firing me. I like it here. I like you guys and girls. Guys is a general term, just not you know, just the men in the room. I like all of you. I like being here. It feels like home. Yeah, see? He feels home here too. Good. But I am consciously aware that my position here is temporary. I don't know what God's plans for the future are. I could die tomorrow. I pray that I don't. I want to see my kids grow up. I don't want Christy to marry somebody else. I I... Yesterday was September 21st. 13 years. It was Earth, Wind, and Fire Day. 13 years since our first date. It was a good day. The Gators won. It was a great day. Yeah, so I don't want her. I, mean, I don't want her with somebody. But I have to remember that my position here is not an eternal position. In fifty years, I will be eighty-seven years old. I will not be standing here as the pastor in fifty years. I might be sitting in a wheelchair or something like that. We'll see what God does. In hundred years, in hundred years, I definitely won't be standing here as the pastor. There is something temporal about my position here. There is something temporal about every position you hold in this world. But there is something eternal about your position in the family of God. Because God has given you eternal life. And that position is what compels us to our one. We've got 30... 42 people that have listed someone over here that they are praying that God would use because there is an eternal position waiting for them. Right now, they're struggling. Right now, they're hopeless. Right now, they're lost. And God has placed them on your heart and on my heart. And I pray for you every single day that God would use you in a way to say, this is true, this is what matters. This is the position that God has for you in Christ Jesus. Eternal life. And this morning right now, you're asking yourself, you know, where, where where is he going with this? He's wearing this bright blue shirt. He tried to break a light, tried to break one of our students over here. with a Frisbee. Well, why, why, why so much emphasis on who, who's your one? Because if these things actually do matter to us the way that they do to God himself, that he would send his only son to die for your sins and my sins, then we've got to take it seriously. We've got to step up and say, you know what? I'm not just going to go to church and listen to a sermon and say, yeah, that matters. Yeah, truth matters. Position matters. Eternal life matters. Yeah, all this is good stuff. I, I'm actually going to allow it to matter. Because we can talk about stuff that matters, but if we, unless we act on it, then it doesn't really matter to us. It, it just absolutely does not matter to us. So I'm asking you the question again, who's your one and what steps have you taken to reach that one? If it's, oh yeah, I wrote their name on a card and that's as far as you took it, then they don't actually matter. Their salvation does not actually matter. It's how you pray for them. It's how you pray for God to use you. It's how you say, you know what, my position in Christ is compelling me to to go to them so that they can enjoy this eternal fellowship that I have with God the Father because it only comes through Christ the Son. And we know all this because scripture matters. Scripture matters. The Bible matters. Notice what he says there in verse 26. I've written these things to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. And if you've got your head in the sand, you will not believe that people are trying to deceive you. That people, that this world is set and bent on bringing deception to you. You're going to believe these lies that it tells you that Jesus really wasn't that, that Jesus didn't really perform all these miracles. See, I believe in a Jesus who, as the Bible says, truly did walk on water, truly did come and feed five thousand. Man, Popeyes might have run out of chicken sandwiches, but Jesus did not run out of fish sandwiches that day, all right? All the Chick fil A crowd said, yes, yeah, the Lord's food. I believe in that Jesus because the Bible has presented him as the eternal word in this way that compels me to say that, no, this is Christ no matter what the world may say. He says, I'm writing this to you because someone is trying to deceive you. And maybe you're asking the question, well, how do I avoid being deceived? I'm glad you asked that question. I'm glad you asked that question because it shows if you have considered how do I avoid being deceived or, or what is the world trying to, where is the world trying to deceive me? It shows that you are concerned with holding on to truth and passing this doctrinal test. If you really want to know the best way to avoid being deceived, it's right here in my hand. It's the word of God. It's knowing what is in these pages. If your only exposure to scripture is in in 35 minutes, 45 minutes of a sermon, 50 minutes that I preach on Sunday morning, then you've already been deceived. If your only exposure to the word of God is, is in an hour long Sunday school class, you've already been deceived. And don't tell me that you don't have enough time. Social media is going to stand as the test on that final day when we give an account to God and say, I didn't have time to reach my one. I didn't have time to reach God. And he's going to say, well, look at all the Facebook posts you liked and shared and retweeted and all these things. Look at all this. Look at the hours that you spent playing video games. Look at the hours that you spent in delving into politics. Look at all the hours that you spent in this. You want to avoid deception. You get in the word of God. It is the word of God that says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I didn't hide that person's word, that person's word. I didn't hide that tweet in my heart. I hid the word of God. And I know what you're asking. It doesn't say the Bible in here. It doesn't say scripture. But it does say this. I have written this to you. I don't know that John understood fully on that day he was penning this, that he was writing Holy Scripture. But what I do know and what I do believe is that John felt compelled by the Holy Spirit and that the word of God is given by God himself through human agents to write those words and to place them and he preserved them for us. Either way, we have the written word held to us as the standard of truth. You want to know how you can be avoid being deceived and you got to know what's true you got to know what's true because scripture teaches what is true scripture the bible these sacred words he says it this way in verse 27 As for you the anointing which you receive from him abides in you and you have no need for anyone to teach you but his anointing teaches about all things, and is true, and it's not a lie. Just as it taught you, you abide in him. Now, there's a whole lot of discussion about what he means by anointing here. And some people will say, that's when you get the Holy Ghost fire, and it comes on you, you start uttering all these crazy things. And No, no. It teaches. It's got to Teach. The Holy Spirit uses this in our hearts to teach. The word of God was written by God. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says, The word of God is breathed out by God, and therefore it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that we would know. See, man, I can tell you a whole lot of things, but if it doesn't come from here, don't believe it. Because I'm the guy that's going to walk up to you and tell you your ear fell off. And watch you do this right here? What? Yeah, some of you reached up for a second there. I'm I'm the guy that's going to come up to you when you're wearing flip-flops and tell you your shoe's untied. But I'm also the guy that's going to tell you it's right here on this page. This matters. It matters today. It mattered yesterday. It matters tomorrow. And God has put someone on your heart today that doesn't know this. And I'm asking you along with the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit to go to them and share what is real. Who's your one?